Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Hello, Church Online. This is Ben Stapley. I'm the executive pastor here at TLCC. I'm so glad to be bringing this message to you today. We are in the midst of a series called At The Movies. At The Movies. If you're joining us for the first time, let me tell you a little bit about At The Movies. What we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at Hollywood's biggest blockbusters and to try to find some biblical truths. What we've been trying to do is to put on a a spectacle and uh, help us showcase who our Savior is. Is. That's our desire with this series, and we hope that is your experience today. Beyond experiencing the message, we want you to experience an immersive experience. So I'm not at your house, but you are. So this is what I ask you to do. I ask you to take a pause from this message, pause it, or even let this keep playing, run off to your kitchen. Hopefully you can grab a, a bag of microwavable popcorn. They usually only take about a minute to pop. Pop that bad boy and come on back and eat it as you listen into the message. Again, we want this to be immersive for you. So go ahead and do that right now if you want. And then, hey, if you're extra and you want to do something additional and kind of go above and beyond, you can do this as well. You can take one of your Cokes or your Pepsis and then kind of sprinkle it on the floor in the room that you're in so you get that authentic, sticky floor experience that the theater gives you. So it's going to be a great experience for you. Popcorn in your mouth, soda on the floor. What more could you want for from at the movies? We got a chance to launch this a couple of weeks ago, and we looked at The Greatest Showman. The, the main idea in that movie was, hey, the fact that God's family is big. He invites everybody into it. He wants everyone in under the big top. He wants everyone in his circus. He wants everyone in his family. And we all belong there. And only there are we majestic and not misfits. That was the big idea in that movie. And then last week, we jumped into Secretariat. It was incredible. That idea that we all have a full, wide range of potential, but we don't fully tap into it unless we fully submit our lives into God. And Pastor Ryan did a great job of preaching that message. If you appreciated it, and if you agree with that, just hashtag Team Ryan. Put that in the comments right now. Let us know that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. Hashtag Team Ryan if you enjoyed Secretariat last week. I felt like after the message, I was a horse expert. I learned what a furlong was. I learned what a a triple crown was. I learned what a quadruple crown was. I learned all the horsing terminology from this movie. Thank you, Pastor Ryan, for that great message. So those are the first two. We got another message for you here today. And then beyond this, we have two additional ones as we conclude the series. We have Aladdin, and then we also have Wall-E as well. So this series is continuing. One of the big things that we've been saying as the series launched and as we're in it is make sure this ministers not just to yourself, but to other people as well. We want this message to impact you and then impact others through you. The best way to do that, to to share this, to become a a digital evangelist, is to go to our website, tlcc.org slash movies. There you can download an invite for the movies, and then you can send it off. You can put it on your social media accounts, let people know what's happening, or better yet, to take that invite and send it, text it to somebody personally, saying, I would love to watch this with you. Will you join me for At The Movies during an upcoming week? So take that opportunity now, open a new tab, tlcc.org slash movies, grab that invite and share it with somebody. 
Now, lastly, something we flagged as well is that because of copyright laws, we're not able to show the clips behind us or we're going to get slapped and this whole experience is going to come down and we don't want that to happen. So we're going to obey the law and not do that. But instead, we'll get a chance to show the images of the movie behind us so you get a chance to see what's happening and be brought into the narrative as we explore the biblical truths behind it. The movie that we're jumping into today is called Inside Out. If you've seen the movie and experienced the movie and enjoyed the movie, jump into the chat. I'm going to be asking you to do this all service long church online, so get used to it now. Jump into the chat and to say if you, you watched it and if you liked it or hated it. You know, most of us, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. However your feedback is, jump into the chat. Let us know what the feedback is. I'd love to know as I look back at the chat after this experience what you guys experienced and what you thought of the movie going into it. My wife and I saw it uh, about a couple years ago, I think it came out in 2015, and we loved it. Now, I need to admit, I'm a bit of a Pixar fanboy. I think anything they do works to kind of that Midas touch. It's a great film for adults and for kids. They're, they're great storytellers for both those audiences at the same time. I don't know how, but they always win. They always hit it out of the park. And this movie is one of those great Pixar examples of telling you a great story that punches you in the gut for kids and for adults. So if you're not familiar with what the story is, let me give you a quick overview of what it is. The story is about how growing up and transitions in life can be a bit of a bumpy road. We follow uh, a main character through the eyes of Riley. She is uprooted from her Midwest life where her father starts a new job in San Francisco. Like all of us, Riley is guided by her emotions. Fear, joy, anger, disgust, and sadness. As Riley and her emotions struggle to adjust to a life in San Francisco, uh, turmoil ensues. And joy, Riley's main emotion, tries to help navigate a new city, a new house, and a new school. The movie in synopsis is about an 11-year-old girl and her emotions. In other words, it's a horror film. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I do have a 10-year-old daughter, and I do know what it's like to help them navigate their emotions as they change during that season, and as that, oftentimes they can be pretty volatile as they go towards adolescence. So that's what the movie is. Basically, it's how, those, how our inside actions ultimately our inside emotions ultimately manifest themselves in our outward actions. Oftentimes we think that we are because we do. But this movie says, no, 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 you, you do because you feel. And it starts on the inside and goes out, inside out. Now, I'll give you a quick overview of what the movie is about. Now, let me give you a quick introduction to the main characters, the main emotions of the film. The main emotions of the characters are this. First of all, there's joy. Joy, the main emotion, main character, that looks like a star, and she tries to keep things from a positive perspective. After that, we have sadness that is shaped like a, a teardrop and focused on, you guessed it, uh, sadness. Uh, after that, we have anger. We have anger. The anger is uh, someone that is, is fiery and is, is built up and bent up and, and gets very, very explosive. And after, after anger, we also have fear. Fear is a, kind of like a raw nerve, and we see fear oftentimes keeping Riley, hey, watch out, watch out, giving those heads up so Riley doesn't get into problems. And then lastly, we have also, we have after fear, we have disgust. We have disgust. So disgust is there saying, hey, I don't like this. 
I don't like that. It's actually an interesting note here that the designers who were designing Disgusting say, what is something disgusting? And they said, you know what I, I find disgusting? I find broccoli disgusting. So you can actually see that they, they designed her to look like broccoli, to kind of manifest disgust, something that they found disgusting. They made her look like that. And so these are the emotions that they're going through. Um, the question I, I want to ask you now as you're, as you're watching right now is which one of these characters that you see up here, which one of these characters is your main character? Which is your predominant one? Which one do you feel like? Is it, is it anger? Is it disgust? Is it fear? Is it sadness? Which character that you resonate with? It's your prime emotion that you feel again and again and again. Whatever it is, jump into the chat. Tell us what that is. We want to know what it is. But here, you've got to be honest. Because I know, unless I ask for this, everyone's just going to write joy. That's the right answer. I'm joyous all the time. Joy, 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 joy. Don't lie. Tell us what your true default emotion is. Because, hey, at the end of the day, all these emotions we are meant to feel at some point. And God uses all our emotions to make us a whole person. So tell us what that emotion is and don't default to joy. First of all, I've seen what it looks like when you guys go to the grocery store on a Saturday morning and there's only one cashier. It is not a joyful experience, so make sure don't just default to joy. Tell us what your main issue is. What's your main emotion? Another interesting fact in terms of these five characters, these five emotions, is the writers actually started with a much bigger list. They started with 27 emotions. They're like, wow, this is, this is too much. This is convoluted. We can't keep all these character straights. The audience is not going to keep these character straights. And so they streamlined it and reduced those 27 characters down to five characters, which is like kind of mind-blowing, I think, for a lot of our people watching right now, especially a lot of guys who didn't realize that there is, um, there's five emotions, let alone 20 seven emotions, they probably thought there's two emotions, right? There's a good one, there's a bad one. There's, there's happy and there's sad. You're telling me there's more than two emotions? Right now, my mind has been blown. I'm learning things new about emotions already by the fact that we have more than two. Yes, it's true. Guys, we have more than two emotions. We're going to push into that as we keep going. So we're talking about our emotions and how sometimes we're not in touch with them. We're not aware of them, or if we are, they scare us, they frighten us, we don't know how to respond to them. And we like to cram them down as much as possible. I was playing a pickup basketball with a regular group of guys, and we were playing one night. And one of the times when we were playing, the guy who was guarding me was fouling me on every occasion. Uh, he was just hitting me again and again. And I wasn't calling it. Um, I was trying to keep my anger at bay. I was trying to. Until one time, he slapped me, and the whole room heard it. It was one of those slaps. You could not not hear it. And then I looked at my forearm, and sure enough, there's like a handprint that is on there. And I said, foul. And he said in response, what? Foul? And after hearing that slap, and after seeing my red arm, I said, yeah, foul. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Which is shocking for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've never thrown a punch in my life. <laughs> I balled my fist up. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I don't know if you keep the thumb on the inside or the outside. I don't know any of that stuff. But I did this threatening pose. What are you going to do about it? No, shut up. I came back at him in a threatening manner. It was the first very shocking thing of how quickly my anger came to the surface. Beyond that, I came back to him the next week. And I was like, man, I was a complete jerk. I, I waited for a time when he was alone and connected with him away from the other guys, and he said, hey, just real quick, uh, I just want to apologize when I uh, threatened to punch you last week and acted like a complete jerk. I'm sorry for that. Uh, and then his response floored me. His response was, 
what are you talking about? And it's like, uh, you slapped me on the arm, we all heard it, and I did this, uh, that wasn't right, I'm sorry. He said, I, I don't know what you're talking about this, I don't recall this. And this is not a guy who suffered with short-term memory loss. He was a sharp guy, I knew he recalled it, but he didn't know how to respond to his emotions. Even the, even the positive emotion of restoration, of, of an apology, fasting for forgiveness, I was trying to my best of ability to offer that, and I was getting a stone wall. Because he did not know how to deal with those emotions. A lot of us are like that, right? We either blow up right away when we get hit, or that when someone else comes back to us and tries to encounter us at a deeper level and give a sincere apology, we don't know how to do it. And the only option we have to protect ourselves emotionally is stonewalling. I do not recall that experience. We struggle as individuals with our emotions. Beyond individuals, cultures or communities or even countries can struggle with emotions as well. It's interesting if you, you know some of your world history. In World War II, as, as England was entering into the war, and Germany was being an aggressor and, and planning some bombing campaigns, uh, England decided that they needed to respond to this. How would they respond to this threat of the superpower coming and bombing their homeland and being pretty defenseless as well in relationship to it. How would they, res would they respond with panic? Would they respond with dread? What kind of natural emotions would well up and would they express as a nation and how do we handle this? Would it be fear? What would it be? No, it wasn't any of those things. It was serenity, right? Kind of classic English fashion, tough upper lip. What did they do? They printed two million, two million posters. You probably have seen this or heard the phrase, two million posters with a phrase, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. We're going to get bombed. You're telling me to keep calm and carry on? That is not a natural emotional response to having your house blown up. I can think of a lot of things other than serenity as being an appropriate emotional response. But they said, nope. We're going, to, we're going to stuff that down, and we're going to be good English folk. I have English blood in me, I can say this. We're going to be good English folk, and we're going to respond with serenity. Keep calm. Carry on. We struggle with our emotions, individuals, cultures, countries. I grew up probably like many of you. I'm in my mid-40s, and so when I grew up, growing up in, in elementary school, in adolescence, in high school, even in college, I heard a lot about IQ. You need to have IQ. You need to have a great intelligence. I heard a lot about that growing up. I didn't hear about EQ. I didn't hear about EQ much because that term, emotional intelligence, wasn't popularized uh, until 1990. There was a book that came out in 1995 that really popularized it, a book about emotional intelligence. And it wasn't until then that that kind of got into the lexicon and people started seizing upon this and saying, yes, we need to, we need to be smarter as we work, not just uh, from an intellectual standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint. And, and business coaches and consultants really did this, and they pushed into it that we need to have high emotional intelligence. Time magazine says it this way. They said, decades of research point towards emotional intelligence as being the critical factor that sets star performers apart from the rest of the pack. The connection is so strong that 90%, 90% of top performers have high emotional intelligence. So we know that to be successful as, as employees, we need to have emotional intelligence. 
Beyond being successful as, a, as an employee, the other benefit for its emotional intelligence is just a human. We need to have emotional intelligence to work in a workplace and to live out in our life. This helps us be a holistic individual. The author Peter Scarzezzo, I butchered that and I apologize in advance. Peter, I'll just call him Peter from now. Peter, the author of Emotional, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotional Healthy Leader. He's written a ton of emotional healthy books. But Peter, as he writes, writes this interesting quote. He says this way. He says, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of our personal God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. We see the importance of feeling, expressing emotions, as Riley, in the scene, Riley and her family head off to San Francisco. Excitement builds as they enter the city and then make their way through historic streets. Excitement continues as they enter the street for their new home and step out of the car. But it quickly fades as Riley sees her new home, a home that is jammed up against other homes and has graffiti along the garage. She then enters into the home and displays sadness. Peter tells us about the importance of emotions. Riley demonstrates emotions. And then God lives out emotions. We're talking about how pop psychology has kind of come late to the game in relationship to EQ, emotional intelligence, and, and how the business world has seized upon this concept in the past 30 years. So the business world and pop psychology is here, but guess what? Writers of the Old Testament have been here for a long time, understanding the value and the importance of how our emotions play into making us a whole being. And beyond understanding that, they, they let us know that we're that way because we're image bearers of God who's that way. We have emotions because he has emotions. It's interesting. If you look throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, there's a repeated theme that comes up again and again and again. It's one in which God pursues the nation of Israel almost in a romantic-like relationship. He, he woos them. He tries to win them over to him. And they do. They, they fall in love with him. But quickly that love dissipates, and they reject him, and they leave him. God reaches out again, pulls them back into a loving relationship, and they again break his heart and go off of foreign gods and other idols. And this cycle plays itself throughout the Old Testament again and again. God pursuing them breaking up with him, and him saying, I'm coming back to you. I'm not done. I'm not done. You can remain faithless. I will remain faithful. We see the cycle again and again go through the Old Testament. It's interesting. Philip Yancey says, if you read the Old Testament, it almost feels like it's a lover's quarrel. You see God reaching out saying, I love you. Why won't you love me back? And Israel saying, we're done. We're done. And God's saying, I'm not done with you. I'm not done. We see this full range of emotions from God in display in the Old Testament. We see hurt and pain demonstrated by God. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain, Genesis 6, 6. We see desire demonstrated by God. I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jeremiah 31.3. We see jealousy. We see a spurned lover. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 20.15. And then in Exodus 32.10, we see anger. We see anger clearly from God. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, Israel, and that I may destroy them. My anger is going to burn within me. I can almost see that red character from inside out, right? Ah, That's what God is feeling right here. Why have you spurned me again? You've, you've turned me towards anger. This is a real emotion that he feels. This is emotion that we feel. The, the question isn't, do we feel these things? Does he feel these things? The question is, what do we do with these emotions? How do we handle these emotions? Christians should be people who feel deeply, not because we will be better performers and higher performers at work, but because we have a God who feels deeply. We are made in his image, and since he thinks and he feels, we should think and we should feel. Christendom oftentimes focuses in solely in on the head and forgets about the heart. But at the end of the day, if we want to be spiritually mature people, then we need to emotionally mature. At the end of the day, if there's going to be a control issue. The question is, is this. Are we controlling our emotions or are our emotions controlling us? So that sounds easy, right? Control your emotions. I'm up here on stage saying, <laughs> control your emotions. It's that easy. Just do it. It's not that easy. So I want to give us some powerful ways in which we can do that and make it easier. Before I even get to those action steps, let me just highlight the fact that many of us gravitate towards the extremes when it comes to our emotions. You have in the middle a healthy, happy, holistic means of dealing with our emotions, and on the extremes, you either have times in which we stuff them down and pretend they're not there, or you have times in which we spew them out towards everyone around us. We have on the extremes, we have the stuffers and we have the spewers. And if you're not aware of which you are, and if you're married, realize what your spouse is, and you're probably the opposite. Opposites attract. I know that is the case for me and my wife, and it's probably the case for you as well. If you're not married, I'm sure you can ask a good, good friend, do I stuff my emotions or do I spew my emotions? Who knows? Maybe they say you do both of them, but I'm sure you do at least one of them. I'm a, I'm a classic stuffer. I just stuff my emotions down and down. A lot of guys do this. Not all guys do this. This isn't gender specific. But I, I found myself to be stuffing my emotions. I did this recently uh, as a family where we went on a trip. We were visiting family in Canada just across the border from Buffalo, New York. And it takes us about six hours to drive up there. We were driving up there having a great time as a family until we got close to the border and we realized that we forgot a key element, our passports. I know there's a great relationship between Canada and America, but you still need passports to drive back and forth between the countries, and we did not have them. We pulled up to the border, and we kind of looked at each other and said, I, I, thought, I, thought you were, I thought you were grabbing them. And then the dread and the disgust set in. I kinda, we go through all the characters, right? That, that you know set in. And it was the fear, what are, what are we going to do here? And then the anger of, I know what we need to do. We need to drive six hours back to where we came from. We drove six hours up there, and now it was six hours back, and then we knew it was going to be another six hours back up there, back and forth, back and forth. And so as we're driving back home, 
or driving back home. And as a stuffer, I just stuffed my emotions down. And it didn't say a word as I white-knuckled the steering wheel and drove that six hours not saying a word. I correct myself because I did, I did say one thing. My wife asked, are you angry? To which, through gritted teeth, I responded with, nope. <laughs> stuffing, right? Classic stuffing behavior. Pretending that you're not upset. You clearly are. We got six hours. Why don't we talk about it? That's what I do. My wife is on the other side of the equation. She is a classic spewer. I remember early in our dating relationship, we were on the phone, and the conversation was getting pretty intense. And there was some intense emotions coming her way towards me, and she was expressing herself. And I, I think I, as I recall, from my limited vantage point, I was trying to de-escalate the conversation and bring those, those emotions a little back down towards earth. And, uh, and as I tried to do that, it just ratcheted her up more, and the spewing continued. And she said some famous words to me that, this is how God made me, and you better accept it. And that was like the end of the phone call, and I got to hang up, right? It was kind of classic spewing emotion towards me. You may be one of the others. You're a, you're a stuffer or you're a spewer. You may spew on the phone. You may spew over email to a coworker. You may spew on social media. It seems like everyone is doing that nowadays. You may spew in person as well. That, hey, filter's off, gloves are off. I'm just, I'm just spewing all my emotions at you. There's no filter on me, and you're getting everything unvarnished. And there's no check on myself. And here it comes. Deal with it. I just dropped a bomb, and I'm now leaving the conversation. You are one or the other. Jump into the chat. Acknowledge what you are. I've gone first and showed some vulnerability. I'm a stuffer. You're a stuffer or a spewer. Tell us what you are. Team stuffer, team spewer. What are you? Now that you've identified what you are, you can move forward. Identifying the problem is the first step in terms of solving the problem. Stuffing and spewing. We've all let our emotions go out of control at time. We all have regret from that. Because when we do one or the other, when we, when we hold on to something that we should be sharing, or we spew something that we should be holding back, we cause wounds. We cause wounds to those around us, and ultimately we call, cause wounds to ourselves as well which causes regret. So I'm, I'm sure you can identify some past relationships where you've done one or the other too many times. You've caused woundedness on somebody else, woundedness in yourself. Today is your opportunity to course correct and to move out of those extremes into a healthy middle ground between those two things and stop wounding the people that you love most, the people around you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, yourself. Move out of those extremes. Move into the middle. So how do we do that? How do we move into the middle? What does that look like? There's three words that I want to tell you. There's three ways in which we can do this as we conclude and come towards the end of our message today. We can do that by, we can do that by reading, we can do that by joining, and we can do that by looking. Reading, joining, looking. Read God's Word, join a group, look towards Jesus. Read God's Word, join a group, look towards Jesus. First of all, we can do it by reading God's Word. This isn't just like generic advice, like, hey, just, just pull up God's Bible, start Genesis 1-1, and start reading, and you're going to be good. All your emotions are going to be taken care of. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to give you particular pinpoint advice in terms of what you struggled with. We went through the five emotions already, right? We talked about them in terms of joy, anger, fear, disgust, and sadness. 
We all struggle with one of those emotions, either maybe demonstrating too much of it. I'm just angry all the time. Angry, angry all the time. Or maybe not enough of it. Maybe it's like disgust. Maybe there's things that are going around you and, and there's, there's inactivity, there's, there's, there's unhealthy behavior going on, and you should have an appropriate level of disgust and heartache and disappointment in that, but you don't. You don't, and you're just kind of callous, and yeah, nothing disgusts me, nothing bothers me anymore. It just all kind of rolls off my back. You may demonstrate too much of an emotion or, or not enough about it. Wherever you struggle with emotion, there is a particular psalm that I want you to read this week. Those psalms take you about five minutes to read. So this is, this is a five-minute commitment for the next five days. Monday through Friday, read a psalm. So now that you've identified which emotion you struggle with, let me go through the corresponding psalms that you should consider reading this coming week. If you don't have any joy, then read Psalm 33. If anger dominates your emotional landscape, then check out Psalm 79. If you're overcome with sadness, then push into Psalms 88. If you constantly find yourself fearful, then go to Psalms 23. And if you don't feel disgust or heartache at the appropriate things that breaks God's heart, then look at Psalms 147. Wherever you are on the spectrum, there's a psalm for you. God wants you to get your emotions back into a healthy place. And his word is a great starting point towards that. So read God's word. First step. Second step, join a group. Join a group. The author of Hebrews encourages us in, in chapter 1025, he encourages us to, to join with other believers, not to neglect that because that is where we're going to find encouragement. That's where we're going to find an ability to take those emotions that are way out of left field or not employed at all and to bring them back into alignment with other believers. The writer of Hebrews is saying, no, you don't need to go to, to self-help books. You don't need to go to pop psychology. You don't need to, to go to the, the, the latest you know, um, self-content out there. Don't, don't go to self-help books. Instead, surround yourself with helpful people, believers, followers of Christ, that are going to be able to encourage you as you meet with them. We've talked about reading God's Word. Also, join a group. If you want to join a group, you can do that today. Again, jump into another tab, open another window right now. If this is stirring something in your heart and you've been trying to handle your emotions all by yourself and unsuccessfully doing that and stuffing or spewing, this is your chance. We encourage you to go to tlcc.org groups. There you're going to see a bottom button on the bottom that says join a group. Click that button. And there you'll be able to be added to a list. And then when we relaunch our groups, your name will be on the top and we'll get you involved in right away. Best thing is we have groups here on site. We have groups online. Wherever you're at, we have a group for you to do life with somebody and express your emotions and, and find a way to do that in a healthy manner. Joining a group. Lastly, talk about reading God's word, joining a group, and then looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Isaiah 53 says this. He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. My iniquities. Your iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. There's a beautiful verse uh, I'm sure you've heard it before, but oftentimes this, this beautiful 
big expanse of verse gets very limited in scope. We say, yeah, Jesus is here to heal you. He's here to heal you spiritually. Full stop, end of sentence, no continuation. That's where oftentimes the healing ends with Jesus. Jesus sees us as a whole people. He created us body, mind, and spirit. He's made us holistic, and his healing applies to us holistically as well. Because he was crushed, and because he experienced wounds, that healing goes way beyond spirituality. It goes to us physically. We experience physical healing because of his work on the cross. We experience mental healing because of his work on the cross. And we can experience emotional healing because of his work on the cross. When we look towards Jesus, we receive this. We receive healing across the gamut, across the spectrum. He offers us healing. He's doing that now, but he needs us to look towards him to receive it. And we say, like, what, is, what does that mean, look towards Jesus? There's a great story in, in Matthew chapter 14 in which Jesus is, for some reason, we still don't know why, but he's walking on a lake late at night. And the disciples go by him. <laughs> he's on the lake. What's he doing? The lake is raging as well. But, but Peter, being Peter, a man of bold action, maybe not as much thought, says, I want to go join Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, can I join you on the lake? And Jesus says, come on out. So oftentimes we, we throw Peter under the bus, right? He, he's hot-headed, he's got that anger, he's that red characteristic. But from, all, from what I know, Peter's the only human, other than Christ, who's walked on water. Peter gets out of the boat, steps on water, and held aloft. He makes his way towards Jesus, and he's looking at him. <laughs> I'm walking on water! Probably calling back to the disciples, guys! <laughs> Check this out. He's going towards Jesus, but the waves are still going on around him. And when he stops looking at Jesus, and when he starts looking at his circumstances around him, the, the raging waves, he starts to sink. He starts to sink, and it's not until he looks back to Jesus and calls out for help that Jesus helps him in his emotional state. He's panicky. He's fearful. He's dreadful. He's sinking like a rock. He's not able to address these emotions or have them fully satisfied and calmed until he looks to Jesus. If we want to be able to stop spewing on one side of the spectrum or stuffing on the other side of the spectrum, if we want to be able to have emotions that where you can say, yeah, they're, they're healthy, they're holistic, <laughs> they're holy, if we want to be able to get a better handle of our emotional landscape, and be a complete person as, as God has made us. Not just human thinkings, thinkers, but human feelers. Not just with a mind, but with a heart. Not just thinking, but demonstrating God's characteristic that we see in the Old Testament. If we want to be able to be a full range of human emotion, the way he's designed us, and I encourage you this morning, think through what your action step is. Is it reading a particular psalm? Is it joining a group? Or is it simply just looking to Jesus? And crying out when you have these emotional flare-ups or emotional suppressions and saying, help, help with my emotions right now. We all have multiple steps to take to bring us back and our emotions back in alignment with God's will. Let me pray that over you as we conclude. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for giving us emotions. Sometimes we don't want them. They're confusing. They're threatening. They're alien, they're, they're alien and they're, they're foreign to us, especially if we grew up in a house that didn't show any emotions. We don't know how to interact with them. Or we grew up in a house 
in which emotions were just thrown around and they were weapons of war. It was an assault by which you could tear someone down and stick an emotional dagger in them. And because of that, we've shielded ourselves up because we've been wounded. Father, our emotions weren't meant to be either of those things. It wasn't something to be denied or something to be abused, but something to be cherished. Something that we can demonstrate your characteristics. Something that we can live a full life by. Something that we can go to you when we need help with. Help us. May we look towards you. And as we do, may we experience emotional wholeness the way you've designed us. From the inside out. Amen.